0: Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders.
1: What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up and coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements, anything you could think of to support your. Outdoor Activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddiecom slash members to get your first month free. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with one of the co-founders of Doer, Gary Lynette. Gary, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, so for the listener who may not be familiar with Doer, how would you best describe uh, your brand to them?
0: Well, you, in a soundbite, I'd say we make the best pants in the world. Um, and that's what we have up on the windows of our storefronts and... Uh, Um, to drill down a little bit deeper. The reason we make the best pants in the world is because we've, we've got this unusual combination of fashion and technical that we put together in pants. It usually blows
1: people away. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that. Um, Like who is the perfect kind of person for these, uh, these pants and what really like makes them so great.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't usually like talking so much in terms of demographics for sure. Maybe psychographics. I mean, what we did is we took, we come from Vancouver and and many of the, what's known now in our industry as the great athleisure companies, you know, these um, Apre, companies that were doing Apre gym clothing started in Vancouver, Lululemon being one of the foremost. And what we did is we really flipped Apre gym on its head because I wasn't really interested in wearing Apre gym. Um, I'm a fashion guy. I won't wear a nylon or synthetic rich pant and try to dress it up. And what we do at Doer is we try to provide clothing where we put technical into fashion to allow you to do anything that you could possibly do in a day without changing your clothes. So uh, as a fashion guy with my background, I'm not really gonna I have no problem wearing a highly technical pant that's synthetic rich on a long bike ride on the weekend but i'm not going to try to wear it on a weekday when i might have an important meeting and so what we did is instead of taking apre jam which is going to be synthetic rich what we did is we said let's take regular clothing jeans and pants and things that people wear every day and put technical into them so they're really disguised
1: that's really interesting. So, give me a little bit of background um, of yourself. How, how did you get into fashion and sort of develop the expertise and the idea of starting Doer?
0: Well, I don't know how much <laughs> how much time we have because I'm Josh. I'm an old guy, so I I started. I've got um, thirty over thirty three years in the business. Stewer is a relatively recent uh, gig for me. It was actually supposed to be a bit of a retirement gig that um, didn't end up as, uh, it, it sort of uh, blew up. But um, let me, I'll give you just some sound bites and what my background was, is that I, I, I started out um, in the early 1990s as a manufacturer and I st- was trained by Levi Strauss and their factories at the time levi's was like the king of the hill for jeans wear. they had market share of like about 85 90 percent and um their engineers though hated jean jackets because their factories they were north american they were highly engineered and they just hated doing jean jackets because it was only a few hundred thousand and they and it would screw up all their engineering of their lines of their sewing lines so they came to my brother and i Um, or we made contact with them. And they taught us how to make jean jackets. They basically took us into their factories, helped us set up a little factory to make jean jackets so that they didn't have to do it in their own factory. And from there we learned how to do jeans and some of the guys from Levi's left and they started a company called The Gap. Um, And we all know how that went. And uh, and the Gap extended into Banana Republic. And then people like we started doing business with Guess and Ralph Lauren. And really, I, I've done over the 35, 33 years, I've done business with probably every major gene um, pant player in the world, you know, from, you know, I've done programs with Costco to programs for actually did a one of the, no one knows about this, but Lululemon actually did a jean program at one time called Coco, and where they were selling jeans for about $400 in uh, organic jeans and I did that for them. So in various capacities, I've worked within this business, but got sick and tired of it uh, probably about five, six years ago. I was at the age of 55, 56 and the fashion side of the business really uh, it was just felt like a rerun. I'd lost my passion for it. It's a hard business unless you um, unless you had a passion for it. And I was I was actually winding it down and was going to. I told my wife and children and that I was uh, we were downsizing our lifestyle. I was giving up my car. I just wanted to get um, you know I was I wanted to get out of the rat race. It sounds very cliche, but I wanted to get out had enough. Certainly I'd had enough of doing what I was doing with big fashion players in the industry. And so I gave up my car as one of the first um, aspects of doing that. I started riding my bike everywhere. I became an urban commuter. To this day, I don't own a car. And if I had an important meeting and I still wanted to ride my bike, I couldn't find anything that I would wear. And that's really where the origins of Doer came from because I wanted to just live very simply. I wanted to ride my bike to work, um, I, and I didn't want to. My commute's long, but it's not. I don't want to change my clothes. I'm not going to wear spandex. I just want to be able to, you know, go to work. Maybe go for, um, you know, I might meet, meet my wife for a nice uh, dinner at night. able to wear the same clothes so have them work for me in a very simple way and and that's where the genesis of the idea came from so i've worked most of my career in um in fashion um, working with all the big guys and having developed a number of fashion lines too um, uh, that were at one time i've had lines that have sold in you know my own labels that have sold in bloomingdales and nordstrom's and all, all over uh, North America, but um, this is really my first. Uh, at the age of, as I say, fifty five, fifty six, I sort of saw this market opportunity more on the on the athleisure side or on the lifestyle side, um, not so much fashion, um, outdoors, lifestyle, and um, it was really where I was going personally. and And I thought, okay, well, I'll, uh, I, I pitched my partner and uh, and we started very small in 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 Vancouver, and now we sell in you know, fifty two different countries, and it um, certainly a lot larger than I thought. Um, I'm working harder than I ever I have in my life, but really <laughs> really enjoying it. So so much for the retirement gig. Um, and uh, just lots of lots of learning for me. I, I don't consider myself an expert in either the outdoor or the technical industry, as I say, but uh, I think um, it was the right thing for the right reasons at the right time.
1: That's really interesting. Now, um, so you initially started working on this idea in 2013. You officially launched in 2015. Yeah. Is that really how long it took you to really fine-tune um, the pants and really get them to the point where you were satisfied with the product that you were offering? Yeah, it did. It took
0: us, uh, it took us longer than I, unfortunately, it took us you know, from a from a um, monetary perspective, it took us longer than than I, I was hoping. But uh, the, the key, at the, I knew from the start that I had to get the right fabrics. They were for pro- proprietary fabrics. So when I tell that story about riding my bike to work and not being able to find anything that I would wear if I wanted to go to an important meeting, um, I, once again, just uh, without being too repetitive, because it, it'll come back to why it took us so long is that You know my my commute's over an hour so i can't i couldn't wear just wear typical jeans like it just didn't work for me right Um, it's quite a long commute and yet if i want as i said if i wore real technical clothing that was synthetic rich i couldn't like put a sport coat over it or or feel comfortable dressing it up because it just didn't feel right to me so that you know i wanted cotton rich um street clothing that had technical aspects It was a little bit now i I realized after i got into it after we invested in it why because it took two years to develop the fabrics um it was just it wasn't as easy as i initially thought um but we did finally i think nailed it and um we we still to this day really only have three fabrics over our whole line it's one denim and two other alternative fabrics and it's just the combination of the technical and the clotting, getting it exactly down so it took us two years to get the branding and the, and the fabric down and we started selling them in 2015
1: so in 2015 i know you over the years you guys have run at least three kickstarters that i've seen um yeah. how did you get the word out there and really um market the the pants that you guys created
0: well, it was it was it's been especially to begin with it was very organic. As I said, I didn't really, I didn't, as opposed to many other things I've done in my career, this was I came I came at it with a completely different orientation in that I sort of saw myself, you know, making a few hundred pairs and. Maybe selling them out of the front of my design store. That's how we. That's how uh, my design shop. We had this little design shop, and I, you know, do a pop-up retail store. So I didn't really have any major plans. It was very organic. We did the Kickstarter to begin with, really, as much for awareness as for money. Um, I mean, I, I I had enough money to run a little business, um, but it was much more about awareness, and and um, uh, you can see from the Kickstarters that we did three and each one blew up more than the, uh, than the next. And, but up until I would say, you know, even it's not even up until to this day, 50% of our new customers and we're growing fast. So it's a fair amount of new customers, but 50% come from referral. So, uh, you know my complex marketing plan isn't, <laughs> is not very complex I've had way more complex you know we're not running big outdoor campaigns I mean we do do some digital and social of course but it's mostly referral and the, the idea was that our products differentiated when people put it you know I often say we solve a problem people don't even know until they were put on our pants because they didn't know they were uncomfortable before so it's not something you can really communicate um it, it is it's sort of that perfect word of mouth, organic type of um, marketing play that I think works because it's all about the product.
1: Right, um, right. It, I, I mean, that's health. the best part, right? With the marketing, if you build a great product, it'll sell itself.
0: I mean, typically people will put on their pants, they come out of the changing room and they'll go, wow, these feel different. And they might even not even understand because they're so stretchy, they might not even be all that comfortable with them it's a you know a guy maybe he's worn the same jeans he's worn since he graduated from high school um, the same kind of jeans not the same jeans but the same you know he went in and bought his first pair after high school and then he just continued buying the same pair and he'll come on and he'll put on our jeans and it'll feel different I'll usually say to him just wear them for a day and come back and tell me what you think and he'll come back uh, and then he just starts talking to people oh my god you should feel these jeans you should see how comfortable they are and, then, and, that's, and that's really our marketing um, for the most part
1: I love that. And uh, obviously you've you've expanded uh, to offering quite a few different types of pants and shorts. Um, What was it like kind of introducing new models? Did you kind of have an idea? Like once you really fine-tuned the um, materials, did you have a bunch of ideas of like, okay, these are the different types um, of pants that I want to offer? Or was it just an overtime as you kind of went? Figured it out.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the, what do we call the silhouette side of it, which I think is what you're talking about is, you know, the, the, the style side of it, the silhouette style of it is relatively easy for me, again, with my experience. That's, um, it's, it's the, but the core differentiation we have is in the fabric. And so once you develop the fabrics, expanding it, you know, making it from a five pocket chain into a chino. Um, and, 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 and actually, frankly, when you say coming, it's a little bit different on the outdoor side, I know, but on coming from a fashion uh, perspective, we have a very limited offering. Like it's, it's, it's extremely core basic to a guy who comes out of the fashion arena where you, you know, every season you might be doing 200 different styles, Never mind colors. Right. Right. Uh, Right. Right. This is extremely like we got three fabrics. We essentially for men have two fits and three fabrics. Like there's some around the peripheral and then we got some shorts, but where you're cutting off, the, you know, like cutting off the so it's it's actually a pretty simple program. Um we are adding, but if you when you if you look at it um really from top down, it's uh we're trying to make the best pants in the world. I believe we do. And we're not trying to be too fancy about it. Like we want to just make it easy. Um, what we find is guys, they figure out whether they're are a slim fit or a relaxed fit and they just come and buy more colors or washes. And, and we really don't want to make it too
1: complicated for them. So obviously with this company having more of an outdoor focused, how do you guys keep sustainability uh, sort of front in mind in your manufacturing process? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, if I if I may, I mean, I've been... The the big thing for me, and and I'm fairly outspoken about this. I have been for many many years, uh, long before I was in the outdoor industry, is that the we do do some organic cotton. We do some goods out of organic cotton at times and stuff like that. But the real the real issue for me is around um, making a high quality product that doesn't have to you know that doesn't fall apart easily. And to me, out of all the issues, like if you, if you lined everything up, because 67 pounds, you know, with advent of fast fashion about 10 years ago, now 67 pounds of clothing per person per year goes into landfills or gets shipped to Africa, one or the other. That's crazy. Like like it's ridiculous because people buy clothing. It's so cheap. Um, And they throw it out after wearing it three times because they only paid, you know, $14 for it or whatever. So our big thing was to have a vertical supply chain, build a vertical supply chain and just bring as much quality as we could. So people literally, um, the way we make our jeans, um, for the most part, they should last, I won't say forever because it depends how many times you wear them you know, if you wear them every single day, I'm not gonna say they're gonna last forever, but if you wore them as you normally wear jeans, which is once, you know, once a week or something like that, if you mixed it up, the same jean, it, it should last you for 10 years. And to me, that's the big issue is the durability issue. The, the other big issue um, for us was in setting up a, a, a vertical supply chain is that when you're, so when I, I have a partner who I went to when when I conceived of this idea, and he actually started a factory that only does our product, and that's extremely rare that you'll have a completely vertical operation. There is no middleman. There's my partner and me, and and all they do is my product. They don't do any other brands in this factory. And what that means is that if you're, um, and I don't care who you are, whether you're Everlane or anybody else, because I I again I've, I've been around these corners if you're using third-party suppliers you really cannot you can get all these certifications you want and you still don't know where your goods are being made right you can't be there 100 of the time you can't you can't know exactly what they're doing with their affluence you can't know whether they're going out the back door because they've just got a bigger order from someone else like you can't know any of that stuff so i'm very proud of the fact that we run it um, we have our own factory it only makes our product um, we have teams of people going back and forth all the time, and and um, you know we're a small company, so in terms of there is some really interesting equipment and um, some um, technological finally some real technological advances that are coming in terms of washing and dyeing of uh, of jeans. Um, they cost a lot of money. We're right now investigating it as we get larger and can afford it, um, but we. We uh, we have a great little factory that abides by all the regulations and um, they're not piece workers, they're salaried workers. And uh, that's, uh, I, I feel like I, I sort of rambled there a bit, but just to circle around to my main point is from a sustainability perspective, I think that making a durable product um, that's gonna last a long time is probably the single greatest thing that we can do. <laughs>
1: what would you say has been the hardest part about starting and and building doer well yeah
0: i mean uh, this is um, i if i talk i don't know if i'm going to get too esoteric if i talk about flow but um, this just from the beginning when i started like i've never done anything in my career that just sort of flowed like this and uh, i guess the hardest part You know, I think the hardest part for me is I, I told you that my, I was initially not really all that. It wasn't that I was ambitious, but I, I had this mindset that I was 56 years old and it was a very different mindset than when I was 36. And I recruited some of the uh, you know people. My, my team is amazing and most of them are much, much younger than me and they're very ambitious and so we're growing very fast and i guess me just um i've been around these corners before and i know what growth you know what fast growth brings from a uh you know from many many different angles and so it's just a matter of sort of um in many ways i've been sort of moderating the growth which is a bit difficult um you know we've We've really watched our distribution. We don't sell everybody. We we don't go on sale. Um, so I guess the hard part is just sort of balancing out in a dynamic company. You know, are we going? Are we growing at the appropriate level, and not growing too fast, and and yet growing enough so that everybody is is excited about what we're doing.
1: I totally get that. I think um, it's a really smart way to do things. And like you said, you're building something that um, creates an awesome product that is valuable and your, and your customers clearly um, show proof of that since most of your, a good portion of your sales come from referrals. Um, I want to ask you what advice you would give to someone uh, that was looking to start a business, whether it was in, the apparel industry, outdoor industry, or just the business in general?
0: Good question. Uh, Well, you know, again, without being trite, uh, my first thing is, you know, you got to, you really have to go deep inside yourself and understand what your risk uh, threshold is, because you don't want to be become an entrepreneur unless you are willing to fail. Um, and if you're not willing to fail then you should not try to start a business uh, it just it, you know I, I can't tell you how many people that I meet young people who say yeah I get it um, you know I I, um, I I know that most people like if you're taking risks and that's what we do then you are going to make mistakes and you're going to fail at times and if you're you know you got to get your head around that um, so I don't you know that's sort of cliche advice i guess you know my advice usually drilling down a little bit usually comes from some of the things mistakes i've made in my career i'm at the end of my towards the end of my career and i think probably one of the biggest mistakes i've made is thinking that from a cash perspective that i could do it all myself i've always bootstrapped my companies and i've never um, up until this company i've never taken on outside investors And I think that was a mistake. I think I was too worried about how much of the pie I owned rather than how big the pie was, if you know what I mean. So, you know, if you think about, uh, I got this advice a long time ago from the uh, founder and chairman of Costco, and he said to me, um, I didn't listen to him at the time, (laughs) I wish I had, but he said, Gary, he said, "I, I own less than two percent of costco and i'm worth billions he said it doesn't matter how much of the pie you own it matters how big the pie is he said because if you're managing the company correctly if you're doing a good job then it does then it doesn't matter if you own 100% 100% or 2% if you're doing a good job, right? You're, you're doing a good job. If you're managing the company poorly, it also doesn't matter whether you have 2% or 100%. You're in trouble. So that I, I think that was good advice. It doesn't mean that you have to blow everything up like Costco, but I think understanding that if you can get money to help you complement your skills, um, uh, you know, so you can hire people or maybe bringing in strategic partners i, I think that's a, a good thing so i i only own um you know i, I own uh, although i am the largest single shareholder um all of um all of my senior employees own shares in the company and um i have a supply chain partner I own shares and i have investors and so i own um i own less than 50 percent of this but it's growing fast and i've never had more fun in my life and i'm I, I just think that was a big mistake of mine not understanding that before you know that I had to I had to have total control I think it was fear I thought I thought you know maybe insecurity I didn't know you know if you don't have control maybe if I I'm going to get fired or if I don't do things right but you know again going back to your advice it doesn't matter if you, if you got a hundred percent control and you're mismanaging the company you're in trouble it doesn't you know the company's in trouble so I, I I think that if I had to pick one piece of advice, that's something that was told to me that I didn't hear at the time. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, yeah. Totally. I uh, the, What was ringing in my head, I don't even know where I heard this, but it's better to own 50% of something than 100% of nothing. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's- and
0: and it, especially if you can make it really something that's special, right? Um, so um, that that often is complex I mean you know building a global brand is not it's not for the faint of heart it's not an easy thing if it was easy everybody would do it and I think it just makes sense if you got an idea to bring in comp- people with complementary skills and money to help you do it um, it's it's t- it, I can tell you the other thing and again I keep seem to keep talking about my age but cause, which is a bit ironic because I feel better than I have in my probably in my whole life physically but the thing is that when i started in business it was way more easier it was less complex you did need less money I, I i just think it's it's much harder for young people today so take the help if you can get it and even if you don't need the money there's nothing wrong with ha- needing a you know having a bit of a war chest um because things invariably don't you know go as you you all you, you expect so uh, that would be maybe my singular tip i mean i I, i've learned uh you know almost everything i've learned is by mistake so i could keep going but
1: that would be be my major tip i like it i think that's really good advice um so i want to ask you where where do you see doer in the next year five years ten years down the road
0: Well, we we again this little retirement gig. We've got a very very ambitious, uh, what well, I call beehog, uh, you know, big, audacious, hairy goal. BHAG. Um We we're doubling in size every year. We have it in the last three years, and the current trajectory. You know, we're looking to, um, you know, probably. Um, uh, you know, uh, go public in about three or four years. Um, at a, at a, uh, you know, the the number that we talk about is at a billion dollar valuation. And not that the valuation is that important, but it really reflects that we would be a global leader in what we do. Um, we we talk about this primarily because of what I was saying before is that we have. We sort of sell core basics. We have a vertical supply chain. So we feel that we got this sort of differentiator both in product and supply chain that can just um, catapult us. Um, And we'll see if we can keep this growth uh, pace up. As I say, at at times I I have to pull it back a bit. The demand seems to be there, but I have to make, you know, I'm quite cautious that we have the infrastructure that we can serve all our customers and not Grow too fast, but uh, we have very ambitious plans. We're um, we're very strong in Europe. Um, we're moving into Southeast, um, into Asia, and um, and of course North America is our biggest market. And we're um, going like gangbusters. We're going to open stores next year in in uh, Santa Monica, uh, Venice area in L.A., um, Denver, and New York. So we have a retail expansion planned. and then we're um secondary stores because um, these are um, we're probably not going to have a lot of stores in north america but we will have select stores in other places we're looking also at berlin tokyo and uh we see it as the way for us to really project our brand i'm not sure if you know but our stores are not st- really stores they're sort of we call them their denim playgrounds so we build out full in indoor indoor playgrounds within the store so you can play in
1: the product. That's, that's awesome. I think that's a really smart way of allowing people to really get to know and use your product. Um, definitely excited for when you guys open the store in New York so we can go check it out. <laughs> um, are you at all concerned or worried about any kind of competition in this category?
0: Um, I... You know i i I don't really um i'm not really concerned i I mean i don't know i I, not to the point of being reckless i mean i look at what other people are doing but you know to me um we got in front of this sort of this convergence of the outdoor um you know what i would call outdoor and fashion which is a lifestyle um you know lifestyle in the the middle of outdoor and fashion we got in front of it a bit and and we just have to keep doing a, a, a really good job of what we're doing and i don't I'm not really one to worry about what other people are doing. We just have to keep advancing what we do and make ourselves better
1: I love it i um definitely am excited to get my hands on a few pairs of pants, which I think are showing up tomorrow um, and um for anyone who's listening to this podcast episode before August sixth, you can actually enter to win a few pairs of Pants from Dewar, uh, just head over to RedYeti.com and enter to win. And with that, uh, Gary, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing your story and everything that's going on with Dewar. And I'm really excited to see um, where things go for you guys in the future. Thanks,
0: Josh. Appreciate the the, uh, conversation.
1: If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready 88 Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.